faith over fear, as well as the powerful name of Jesus. That is how it all started. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16 today. As you're opening your Bibles there, I'm going to send our kids out to talk about the shield of faith with Miss Lori and Miss Joanna over there. And so go ahead and head that way as you guys are all heading on out. Again, I will say it again, as you see all of these kids going that way, if you're able and willing to help out with the kids area back there, please talk to me after the service because I can guarantee they would love to have your help with that. As you're opening your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 6 verse 16, you will know that we have been diving into a thing called the unseen battle. But before we get to this unseen battle, I have a question for you this morning. That question is a simple one with a simple raise of hands. It's for those of you who are in person, as well as those of you who are watching online. I just have this question for you, and that is this. How many of you have ever gone paintballing before? How many of you ever gone paintballing before? Okay, this is important for the message today. So if you've gone paintballing to, before, you're going to understand this. If you haven't, if, at least if you shot each other with BB guns like I did when I was a kid, I, I'm not encouraging that, but that was a, a lack of safety on my part and parents didn't care then. So, um, the, but here is the thing about paintball. I've played a lot of paintball in my day being a former youth pastor and kind of a current youth pastor at that. Uh, it, it would seem that with paintball, like any other sport, the more you play, the more you learn. The more you play, the more you learn. But the less you play, the less you know. And you have some learning to do. It's like any sport probably with, with just being a rookie, you've got some learning to do. And I remember the very first time I ever got to go play paintball. To go paintballing, it was a team building activity for the youth of the church, or sorry, the youth volunteers of the church that I, I worked at when I was in Phoenix. And we went to the far west side of Phoenix, probably now central Phoenix with homes all around it now. But at the time, we went out to the desert and there was a paintball course activity center that was out there. So we went out there to go and play. And we got there, we got geared up, we got into two different teams, and there's another set of guys that was out there that was going to play with us. And this other set of guys uh, out there on the far west side of Phoenix had come from an Air Force base that is out there on the far west side of Phoenix called Luke Air Force Base. And so they were taking some downtime to go out there and play. So we got into two teams. It was my team of youth volunteers that were wearing sweatpants and t-shirts and maybe some jeans kind of thing. And we went over to, and we got our uh, well-used, not well-taken-care-of rental guns. And we went up against the team that was the Air Force-trained, um, you know, military guys that pulled their sweet, shiny new guns out of their hard cases for traveling specifically for this kind of thing. Of course, I was in my young 20s at the time, and so I figured I was invincible. No big deal. We'll take these Air Force trained personnel on, and we will show them who is boss, right? And so we were going to play Capture the Flag. That was the first game we were going to play. And in the time that I was walking out there, I began to think of something. I've never been shot by a paintball before. I don't know exactly what that's going to feel like. If you've never been shot by a paintball before, be glad. 
Okay, so um, the, the thing is, is we're walking out, we're going to play capture the flag, and as we're walking out there, uh, you know a couple of things already in advance. If you've ever watched a war movie, if you've ever been a part of a capture the flag game, if you have ever just been hunting before. You don't just run out there and make yourself vulnerable to all the things in the open. There's some hiding that has to take place. You need something to protect you from the enemy's projectiles. Okay, so in the process of this, we hear the air horn blow. When the air horn blows, we all kind of go our different ways. There's a pirate ship in the middle, and that's where the, the flag is at. And I'm squatting down behind this, this bench, and I'm just waiting. And as I'm sitting there, boom, I get shot right in the rear. And I was like, ah! And I turn around, and it was Christy. <laughs> and she was on my team. Okay, There's still some debate on whether that was on accident or on purpose 23 years later. But we realized that I am now dead and I have to go respawn. And I had to leave. And I realized, okay, that's what it's like to get shot from point blank range by a paintball. It left a mark. All the things are with it. So I finally, I go respawn. I come back out. I, I go and I'm like, okay, here we go. We're going to move forward. And I start doing my, oh, you got to duck behind everything. You're working through all this stuff. And I peeked my head up and I took two blasts <laughs> to the face. Boom, boom can't see anything. You're trying to smear all the stuff all over the place. And that's when I realized this probably isn't a good game for me that I need to learn a little bit more about. I went off. I sat on the sideline dead. You're not allowed to talk to anybody or do anything like that. But while I sat there on the sideline, two thoughts came to my mind. The first one was, if this was real war, I wouldn't have a face. That was the first thought that came to my mind. Then you kind of go into that reality of, this is what our men and women of service put their lives on the line practicing for on a regular basis and you have a whole new respect for that but the second thing I thought was if I ever do this again I've got to be better prepared if I ever do this again I've got to be better prepared and the reason why I tell you that story today is because we are in an unseen battle we're in an unseen battle for the last five weeks we've talked about this unseen battle and all we've talked about is how Paul tells us we've got to be prepared we've got to be prepared too often too often, we as Christians will wander out there with no idea what to do. We don't have the full gear on like those we're fighting against, but instead we just got the sweatpants and we're just out just kind of chilling out like it's just some regular Sunday afternoon type of deal. But we have to be prepared. See, when we became Christians, we entered into a war that has already been won. We've talked about that. But with it already being won, there's still battles being fought on a personal basis and a regular basis. I read a quote this week, and I thought this was interesting. It said, like the Spartans, every Christian is born a warrior. It is his destiny to be assaulted, and it's his duty to be attacked. It's also his duty to be on attack. And I saw that, and I thought, you know, that is where we are at. We need to be prepared for the assault and the attack that's going to come from the evil one. And that is what Paul is trying to tell us. We looked at that unseen battle in week one. Then in week two, we talked about putting on the belt of truth and how that belt of truth holds everything together. In week three, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and how that righteousness covers our chest. It covers our internals, which is our emotions and our will and, and our desires and our mind. And that needs to be protected by the righteousness that's been, that's been imputed to us by Christ and imparted from our life. Then in week number four, 
We looked last week at standing on the gospel of peace. And that gospel of peace is the truth of the fact that we are no longer at war with God because the good news of Jesus, he came, he lived, he died for you and for me, and he rose again, defeating death. That gives us peace. So today we are in Ephesians 6, 16, and we move into week 5, and we pick up Right here in verse 16. So if you have your Bibles already open there, I would love for you to to take a look at it. If you don't, now is the time. We're going to start reading to get the context in verse 13. It says this. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. For this reason, because we are under attack and we have to be prepared. So that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything, to take your stand. Stand therefore with the truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with the readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for today, and we're grateful for an opportunity to be able to dive into your word. But as we dive into it, I just pray you help us to see the words that we say that there is power in your name. What a powerful name it is to break every chain. And that God, the chains of fear that tend to hold us back, the things the the devil is throwing at us, those flaming arrows, that God, they can't get through you because there is such power in you. Help us to see that. Help us to understand that. And help us to take up this shield of faith that we'll talk about today. We pray it in your name. Amen. As we look at verse 16, I want you to see three words to start that verse off. And you might have a different translation than I do. My translation says, in every situation. In every situation. Yours might say above all, or it might say in all circumstances, or in addition to all of these. Basically what we see happening here is a shift taking place. Paul had talked about these first three pieces of armor. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the gospel boots. Saying these are the things that you keep on all the time. These are the things that you keep on all the time, but now we're going to shift in addition to these things, in all the circumstances that you have, in every situation, now you're going to take up. I guess the best way to illustrate it is, in case you didn't know, today is actually Super Bowl Sunday. We didn't make a big deal out of it this year as we have in times past, but if you've ever watched football, if you've ever watched really any sport, you know there's gear they keep on all the time during the game, during the fight, during the battle. They have their cleats on, they have their pads on, but they'll take off their helmet. They'll take off certain things and set it off to the side when they're not in the middle of the battle. If you can imagine them taking off their cleats every time or taking off their pads every time, that'd be a little weird. Those are the things you leave on all the time, just like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and those gospel boots. But like that helmet, they take on and off. That's the same thing as we see the word take up here. As we see the word take up here, this is what it's talking about. So today we're talking about taking up the shield of faith. And we've already kind of touched on this over the last four weeks that Paul is kind of referencing both the Old Testament as well as a Roman soldier as he is talking. And he sees this Roman soldier and he's talking about a shield. So why the reference to a shield? And I think before we can even get to that question of why the reference to the shield, we have to figure out what kind of shield he's talking about. Because there's really two different kinds of shields that the Roman army would use. 
first one is probably the one that is most commonly thought of when we think of a shield, and that is that round one that would slide over the arm so when you're in battle, you're able to use it for defense and protecting yourself in that sort of way. If you've ever seen a movie like Ben-Hur or Gladiator or 300 or Monty Python and the Holy Grail, any of those, you're going to see they're using that type of shield. That's not the type of shield he's actually talking about. The type of shield he's actually talking about here is actually one that is about four and a half to five feet tall and about two and a half feet wide. And it would cover from about your eyes down to your knees. And it would be able to protect your whole body. And in the process of that, it was made of a, of a heavy wood that was covered generally in some sort of cowhide leather of some sort and then even covered with metal beyond that. So in that, it's a heavy-duty one. And the edges were actually beveled so you could hook next to the guy that is with you in order to be able to make a wall, an impenetrable wall. And that impenetrable wall could either move or stand firm. Again, we talked about this in week one, but this is one of the things where Paul's talking. He's not just referring to an individual. He's referring to the church hooking together and standing firm. So for the soldier, this shield was really the central part of their equipment. It was their first line of defense. It guarded them. Not only did it guard them, it deflected the onslaught of whatever was coming at them. And in some cases, it actually discouraged the enemy because the, the enemy's thought would be, nothing's working. We can't get through this shield. And as we already said, it gives more strength when you're in numbers. So, Paul is writing about a shield. And, and he's picturing the church, and he's picturing the individuals that make up the church, and he says these words. In every situation, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So we have this shield, but the second thing we need to touch on, and the second thing we need to see here, is actually the word faith. Faith, and what does that mean? What does faith mean? The word faith here is actually in the Ephesians chapter 6, the one that he's using. The original language is actually the word pistis. And in that, it means faith, reliability, confidence, or trust. And in the context, he's actually saying you're relying on someone or something that is reliable. You're relying on someone or something that is reliable. And we'll dive deeper into that as this message grows on. But I think it's pretty clear from verse 16 what Paul is trying to tell us here. He's trying to say this shield of faith is what we have to take up. And it's how Christians will fight in spiritual warfare. It's how Christians will fight in this spiritual warfare. So Paul says, take up the shield of faith in which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil ones. So you take up that shield, the first defense, of faith, the reliable trustworthiness of what you put your trust in, and then you take your stand. Against who? Well, that's the next words we need to look at. The evil one. Take your stand against the evil one. Now, the evil one's obviously a reference to Satan. And in this reference of Satan, the weapons he described as using here are, are typical weapons that Satan prefers. Th these are what he goes, he loves covert operation. He loves being the sneaky one. Though he is the prince of darkness, how does he masquerade? As an angel of light, right? Though his followers are most certainly wolves, they appear as sheep or wolves in sheep's clothing. They, they like to be covert. And so his weapon of choice is this flaming arrow. Why do I say that? Well, it's the perfect weapon because he can shoot them from far off. 
He can shoot them from far off. They come in quick, and they come in without warning. And in the process of that, they cause great pain, and they cause great damage if they hit the flesh. They can be sent one at a time, or like I talked about even in some of those movies, you see that rain of arrows all coming in all over the top of the army. So in that, and those things in mind, we see that Paul's reference here to the flaming arrows of the evil one. What does that mean? What do these flaming arrows mean? Well, it is a reference to that cunning and craftiness that Satan has and he uses to try and destroy us. And he destroys us through those flaming arrows that would be considered temptations. Temptations. And by temptations, I mean anything that would cause us to question the goodness of God. To cause us to maybe question our trust in God, our, our faith in God, and his ability to provide for you and take care of the needs that you have. Temptations might fall under what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, when it says the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions, the things that are going to come between you and God. And those temptations, well, they're going to come when we least expect them, just like those arrows. They're going to come in quick and without warning. They're going to they're going to hit us if we don't have that shield up and they're going to cause pain and they're going to cause damage and they're going to be very destructive in our lives and those around us. And the temptations, they can either come one at a time or they can come in a deadly hail of arrows coming over the top. These are the things that Paul is trying to warn us of. And he's saying the only way, the only way we can defend ourselves from these temptations is by taking up that shield of faith that shield of faith, and have it with us at all times. See, if we're protected by that shield of faith, none of Satan's arrows can get through, whether he sends them at night, or he sends them during the day, whether he sends them at one at a time, or he sends hundreds of them. This is where we are at. Whenever, wherever temptation comes, the shield of faith can deflect them. And, and that's where we see this powerful name of Jesus. He is going to be the one who builds that barrier for us, and we're going to dive a little bit deeper into that here shortly. As we see in verse 16, though, it does more than just deflect arrows. See what the next word I want you to see is? is Extinguish. Extinguish them. And the reason why is because they're called the flaming arrows. Uh, In in those times, they would actually use uh, some sort of cotton or some sort of thing they would dip it and pitch they would light it on fire they would shoot it off and it's a slow burning thing but when it hit its target it would actually spread the fire and it would cause burns on you if it bounced off it hit you got through whatever gaps in your armor that you might have had and if you've ever been burned you know anywhere it just hurts it just even if it's just a little nuisance it still causes that damage so here it says they extinguish the flaming arrows it's not just about them being shot at us. It's about the damage they do when they hit us. And this is going to release and and really cause those arrows to lose their fire and lose their force. The great thing is in verse 16, there's another word I want you to see. It doesn't just extinguish some of the arrows. There's that word all in there. All the arrows, all the schemes of the devil. See, the same schemes that Paul is talking about in verse 11 are the same arrows that he's talking about here in verse 16. This is the schemes that he's coming at us with, and the shield of faith will protect us from every single one of those. But just as it is with all the other pieces of armor that we've talked about, this protection is not automatic. This protection is something we have to put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the sandals of the gospel of peace, those gospel boots, as well as this week, we have to take up 
And those are the next words I want you to see. Take up the shield of faith. What does that look like? How do we do that? How can we as Christians take up the shield of faith? First of all, taking up the shield of faith, we need to be reminded again that like any other aspect of this armor, it's not our faith. It's not our armor. This is God's armor. And so this is the faith of God in God. So let's take a look at what that looks like in our life. The idea of the faith of shield really, or sorry, the shield of faith is really everywhere in Scripture. It's loaded throughout the Old Testament. I told you Paul wasn't just staring at a Roman soldier and writing these things down. He was referring back to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, uh, you can look at Genesis 15. Genesis 15, Abram uh, believes God and his faith is credited to him as righteousness. And in it, it says, we are told in verse 1 of 15 that God will be Abram's shield. And God will protect Abram as Abram places his faith in God. We find the same idea throughout the entire Old Testament, but especially in the book of Psalms, at least 20 different times, I counted at least as many as even 29 different times, God is referred to as our shield, the one who will protect us from our enemies. Psalm 91, 4 says God is faithful and it describes him as our shield. His faithfulness is our shield. Psalm 76.3 says that God will break the arrows of our enemies as our shield. And even if you jump over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 30, verse 5, it says that God is a shield to those who put their trust in him. So this is what Paul is relating back to. This is what Paul is tying into. And he gets this idea in, in verse 16 of Ephesians chapter 6 that he says, take up the shield of faith, But if we go back to the Old Testament, that shield of faith is God himself. Take up God. We place our faith in him. And if you're online, if you read our emails, if you have gotten anything from our social media stuff, you saw I asked a question this week. And that question was simply this. In whom or what do you place your trust and your faith? In whom or what do you place your trust and your faith? Because Paul is being very clear right here, the only one that is worthy, the only thing that is reliable, remember relying on the one thing that is reliable, the only thing it is, is God. That's it. There's no other options out there, but yet we tend to do it. So bring it all together. I want you to think about this. I told you that the shield here, It's something that that Paul is talking to us about. And in his mind, he's saying, this is our first line of defense. For the enemy to get to the soldier, he has to go through this shield first. So if God is our shield, what can get through God? Absolutely nothing. And that is what Paul wants us to hold on to. Nothing can get past God. He is is that powerful name. He is the one that breaks every chain. So therefore, as Christians, we have nothing to fear from Satan or from wicked men or from future events because God is on our side. God's on our side. To get through to any of the other pieces of armor, the enemy has to try and get past God first and that's not gonna happen if we put up that shield of faith. Like, The shepherd that we talked about a a few months ago now, as crazy as that is, and we're in the book of John, talked about Jesus when he would say, I am the door, and he wouldn't let anybody else in. He wouldn't let the wolves in. 
God is our shield. He is our door. And there's no way anything's going to get through to get to us. But here's a question I have to ask. If that's the case, why do we still sin? Why do we still fall into temptation? Why do we still struggle and do these things? Somehow, the weapons of the evil one, the, the, the flaming arrows of the wicked one, the temptations of Satan, they're getting through and they're hitting us. Why is that? How is that? If God is the shield, how does he get past him? And I think we go back to verse 16 again. And in verse 16, it uses those two words, take up. Take up the shield of faith. The only way that a flaming arrow gets past the shield is if we're not holding it. If, if we are not holding it, if the temptation gets past the protective shield of God, it's because we have dropped the shield. Because we haven't taken up the shield of faith in Him. We have let our guard down. And how often do we do that? How often do we say, instead of putting my faith in God, I put my faith in myself and my own power, and that's like Swiss cheese for these flaming arrows to go right through. <laughs> When you look at that right there, that's it. The, we have all the armor on, and boop, right there. Maybe you've seen the meme where it says, me prepared for 2020, and then 2020, the arrow right now. It just catches you off guard. And the reality we have here, if we put our trust in anything else, that temptation will knock us down right where we stand. We have to take up the shield of faith and keep our faith in God. We have to do that. The Bible refers to keeping faith in God as living by faith. Living by faith. And, and the thing is, is we see the Christian life, as we talked about even last week, from beginning to end is by faith. From beginning to end by faith, we become Christians by placing our faith in Jesus alone for eternal life. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, just a couple of chapters before what we've been reading, You've probably memorized that at some point in time in some Bible camp or at a one or something like that. But it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. Through faith, not of ourselves. We know that, so we can't boast. But for some reason, some reason, many of us understand we become Christians by faith alone, in Christ alone, but then we tend to live our lives as Christians by works alone. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. We'll say, you know what, I'm a Christian now. So therefore, I have to go to church and I, I have to give money and I have to work honest at work and I have to be a good person. But anytime we start putting that on ourselves, we've said this from the very beginning, we cannot fight this battle on our own. We can't do it. None of us on our own can do these things, but we try anyway. And guess what happens? We fail. We fail. Everything falls apart. Time and time again, the Christian life becomes a life of defeat. And when we are in that pattern of defeat, then we give in to more temptations because we have that tendency to go, well, I've already failed, so therefore it's okay if I fail again. For those of you who have taken any sort of financial resource classes, what's the worst place to be at when you're in debt? In that place where you're like, well, I can't get out anyway, so therefore I'll just spend more. And just keep burying yourself in that. We have the same thing to do when we're in the midst of temptation and we start to question God. We question God's goodness. We question God's provision. We question God's promises for our lives. We even question God's love. And sometimes 
There's a certain sin in our life which we just can't seem to beat. It just keeps rearing its ugly head. It's that one arrow that makes its way right on through. Why is that? Why is that? Well, I think that the reason is because we are trying to put up the shield of faith in ourselves. I have faith in my abilities. I have faith in my strength. I have faith in that. And again, it's weak. Rather than putting our faith in Christ that is strong. So we need to understand as we're working. Works are a very important part of the Christian life. But they're the result of living by faith. They are not the means of living by faith. And as Reese read up front, Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 said these words, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, it doesn't say this, but we already know this, by faith, then we continue to walk in Him. In other words, Christians, we become Christians by faith alone, and we live as Christians by faith alone. That is how we live. We continue to walk in Him in the same way that we received Him, by faith alone. When we believe in Jesus, we're justified. We're justified and we receive eternal life. But after receiving eternal life and we continue to grow in Jesus and we continue to follow after him, we're being sanctified. And in that sanctification process, we understand that abundant life that Jesus promises in John chapter 10, verse 10, that is where we start to grasp it and go, abundant life doesn't just mean stuff. It's about him and living in Him, and growing in Him. So both eternal life and abundant life, they come by faith alone in Jesus Christ. So over and over and over again, the Bible describes this whole idea of living the Christian life by faith. Maybe you've heard this before where it says the righteous will live by faith. It'll talk about us walking in the Spirit. It'll talk about us walking in the light. Or when Jesus said, abide in me because apart from me you can do nothing. We are with him and we believe that by faith. We put our trust in him by faith. And the reason why I think so many of us fall so often into sin and temptation is because we're trying to walk in our own flesh. We're trying to walk in our own power apart from him. We're trying to beat sin with a strength that we don't have on our own. We have to have it in Christ. We're trying to live Christian, our Christian life by works. But victory over sin and victory over Satan and victory over the world, we've already said over and over and over again, don't come from us. It comes from Christ. Faith in Him. So what does that look like? What does that look like? How do we as Christians live by faith? How do we as Christians take up this shield of faith. And a definition that I saw this week that I really liked, I, I want to break it down for you. It says this, living by faith is taking God at his word and acting upon it, even when it makes no sense to the rest of the world. Living by faith is taking God at his word and acting upon it, even when it makes no sense to the rest of the world. See, the definition here has two parts. The first one is taking God at his word. You know what that means? It means believing what God has said it's true. Do you believe that he is who he says he is, that he will do what he says he's going to do, and that, that his word is true? The crazy thing is, is that obviously before you can believe what God has said, you have to actually know what God has said. That belt of truth that holds everything else together. And the main way you can know what God has said is by actually looking at his word, reading his truth, the Bible. It's amazing when I talk to people, they talk about, well, 
I'm living by faith. And they have no idea what that even means because they're not in the Word. They're not reading the Bible. Sometimes people even say, well, because I'm living by faith, I don't have to read the Word. Well, guess what? That's just another temptation that's thrown out there because Romans chapter 10, verse 17 is very clear. It says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? The Word of God. So we have to understand that. We have to hold on to that. And Paul says that many different times in Galatians chapter 3. He's referring to hearing with faith. The point is, is that we hear or read the word. And when we do, we have a choice. We can either believe it or we can not. And there are people who believe it and there are people who are not. But those who believe it, you know what they're supposed to do? Act on it. Act on it. And that acting on it is faith. It's like when you sat down in that chair that you're sitting in right now. You might believe that chair is going to hold you up, but until you place your rumpus in it, it's not meaning anything what you believe. I've shared with you the story about what happened to me in Cuba. I'm not going to get into it again when I put my faith in a chair that did not hold me up. But the, the whole idea is we put our faith in the things and then we put our action behind it. So it's going to result in actions. And those actions are going to be Christ-honoring works in our lives. Again, we're not doing those works to earn it. We're doing it because of it. And I know it's a difficult concept, but Hebrews chapter 11 does a great job of really laying it out for us to, to see how it's all worked out. Hebrews chapter 11 is called the faith chapter of the Bible. As a matter of fact, the whole book of Hebrews is, is a great book of truth and lessons about Jesus Christ and how we as followers can live by faith in him. But chapter 11 is the one. It is a chapter that is not telling unbelievers how they can be saved by faith in Christ alone, but instead is one saying this is how you can live by faith and receive the rewards, it says in chapter, or chapter 11, verse 6. Then you get in chapter seven, or verse 7. Verse 7 is about a guy named Noah. You probably know a little story about him. He's painted on nursery walls all over the place. Uh, the whole idea of death and destruction. Let's raise our kids up in that. And, and, and so well, the rainbow makes it all better though. So the, the good thing is, is that we, he got a command from God. You know what he did? He acted on it in faith and we received the results 120 years later. We watched uh, Sight and Sound. I'm not sure if you guys have ever heard of that before, but last week they had it free uh, they, they stream it, and it's like a musical, and they did Noah. And just to kind of see it play itself out, for 120 years, he's building a boat in the middle of nowhere where there's no water at. People are questioning him. They're, they're calling him crazy, all the things. But he got a command from God, and he acted on it in faith, and it didn't matter if it made sense to the rest of the world. You go to verse 8, and it talks about Abraham going on a journey. Abraham took God at his word, and you know what he did? He acted on it. You go down to verse 24 through 26 in chapter 11. We're reminded how Moses took God at his word and acted on it. Verse 30 talks about Joshua, Rahab, and the judges who heard God's command. They took it as it is. They believed in him in faith, and they acted on it. And all the time, it didn't make sense to the rest of the world. And then in chapter 12, the writer goes into this. He says, I want to encourage each and every one of you that if you live by faith, or you should live by faith, because you've seen so many people that have gone before you, and all that was mentioned in chapter 11, and they've done amazing things for God, and you can do the same. Let me wrap up with this. As we read the word of God, and we do what it says, and we act upon it, we're living by faith. We're taking up that shield of faith. Though we 
can't exactly see what our actions might do for the future, though we may not receive the inheritance right now, though we might actually go through persecution and, and people might put us down, we might go through trials, and as Romans chapter 8 talks about the, the nakedness and, and the fear of the sword and the danger of the sword, we still put our faith in God. We still put our faith in God. And going back to Hebrews chapter 12, another verse you may have learned at some point in time in a, growing up, it actually says we're supposed to keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. And if we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can go back to the illustration of Peter walking on the water. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, that's when he sank. But when he had his eyes on Jesus, he did amazing things. And we look at that, we say, we should walk by faith. We should walk by faith. And if we're keeping our shield up, if we're keeping our shield up in him, in God, who is our shield, he's going to protect us. And he's going to fend off the enemy and he's going to extinguish all of the flaming arrows that come from the wicked one. So if you want to be victorious in this Christian life, if you want to be victorious in this Christian life, and I'm not talking like from some sort of prosperity gospel type of thing, I'm saying we are in a fight. But if we look at Caleb, at 80 years old, still went out to fight the fiercest opponents possible. He took up his faith in God and went and fought. We take up our shield of faith and we can place our trust in God and guess what? We stand firm. And we not just stand firm, but we can go forward in victory. One last thing I want you to chew on. One last thing, just to kind of hold on to you. If you look simply at the definition of faith, the world's definition is complete trust. That's it. Complete trust. But who or what in this world is completely trustworthy? Who or what in this world is completely trustworthy? But you say, no, I, I have faith in, and we fill in that blank. And I don't know what your blank is. Maybe your blank is a political system. Maybe your blank is a bank account. Maybe your blank is another human being. It could be anything. It really could be. But the question comes back to, is that thing completely trustworthy or maybe a better way to do it, completely worthy of your complete trust? If anything fills that blank is not called God, then it's not going to work. That's the reality. Unless it's God, the answer is no. It is not completely trustworthy. But I have faith in it. Well, here's the thing. It doesn't matter the amount of faith you have. It's the object in which we place our faith that matters. Let me say that again. It doesn't matter the amount of faith that you have. It's the object in which we place our faith that matters. And the only object worth all of our faith and all of our trust is God. But yet we tend to go everywhere else. If you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, can I tell you today is the day to do it? And if you have, but you've dropped your shield of faith in him because you picked up the shield of faith in anything else, can I tell you today is the day to say, God, I come to you in repentance and I want to pick up my shield of faith in you. I want to take that up so you can protect me from the evil one. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for today. And thank you for this passage in Ephesians talking about this spiritual war that we are in. And far too often, we forget about it. Far too often, we leave our belt of truth loose at best. We kind of maybe put on this breastplate of righteousness and what is right and what is wrong. 
we stand kind of in the gospel of peace. And even as today, we have a tendency to put down our shield of faith in you. And God, I just ask for forgiveness, first of all, for doing that, because you've told us what to do. And if we just did what you told us to do, how much different would our lives be? God, I just, I'm thankful for your grace and your mercy that when I ask for forgiveness, you give it. And I know there's other people in this room that are feeling the exact same way. And I pray that, that today is a day that if they haven't ever put their faith in you, that they do. They accept your son as their savior and receive eternal life so they begin growing you. But those who have already, God, I pray that we stop putting ourselves first, stop trusting in ourselves first, and instead trust in you. We pray that all in your name today, Lord. Amen.